All right, uh, friends, thanks for listening. Today we have Simeon Fuchs of the Swedish Homestead talking with us about his first year in homesteading, what he would do if everything is starting all over again. Hey, friends. Welcome to The Schoolhouse Life, where we answer your pressing questions and share useful tools for creating your most fulfilling, self-sufficient family homestead. We go back to basics in all things family, faith, and farming, and we're eager to teach you what we've learned, everything from growing a garden to earning an income to living a less toxic and more nature-based lifestyle. We're thrilled you're here and hope you leave inspired to live your life as a schoolhouse too. So Simeon, thanks for joining us. And um, I say we just start with your experience level. So kind of a, my thought is a lot of times on podcasts, you hear kind of like someone's whole biography, but maybe you can sum up to us in like, you know, three key points or something like why, if someone's tuning into this, should they listen to you and your advice? Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. So, um, well, I went to farming school from 2003 through 2006 and, and it was an organic farming school, but it was still an industrial approach and it turned me off um, more than anything. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. And so I, I, I kept an eye on farming, but I, I, did a lot of other stuff for a few years and in 2011 i got uh for the first time i got in touch with the concept and idea of regenerative farming and mm. i was right away sold and started to well my, both my wife and i together at that time and and we both started experimenting and testing out things and um have been pursuing that journey ever since so um you know when i talk to my clients I, I it helps me that I've gone through the normal farming school because they they listen to me. Yeah, I've done it both. You know, I, I've I've worked on both spectrums and um, understand both sides, and it helps me to really connect with people and see where they are, where they are coming from, and also to help them to break free from the ways of thinking that they have. Because I used to be quite stuck in it myself and used to be quite arrogant about it too, and. And so my journey has been deeper and deeper into, into that, um, you know, not just, you know, my, my background has always been farming more than just growing your own food. It has right. been really making a living, making a living off of the farm. And um, that's why I also continue then to, to become a, um, a certified holistic management educator. And yeah. because I, I really feel like that re- really is a powerful tool there. Oh, it is for sure. sure. I've gone through the, I know, you know, but I've gone through the training myself and it's, it's mind, mind blowing how much there is out there. And it just completely changes your whole mindset of how to look at agriculture and farming and the homestead and all of that. Yeah. 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 So I, with that said, if you were to restart and I feel like you've had the opportunity to restart your homestead before, haven't you? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, so you, you introduced me as the Swedish homestead. We used to be called Swedish homestead. That's what made us popular um, on YouTube. Um, we yeah. got quite well known there. And we, we made a very difficult decision uh, some three years ago, the, the land we were farming there and further train and educate ourselves and, and our journey took us to austria where we are currently and then we are 
we're going to be heading to the U.S. here this year. So that's exciting. Uh, back, yeah. back to my family's, uh, my my wife's family roots. So, um, what what I've so so I ran the we ran the farm in Sweden and and turned it into from just being a farm where we grew our own food. We turned it into a small direct marketing farm. We had, um, you know, pastured eggs. I had a small hatchery business. We had a greenhouse where we so, um, grew and sold tomatoes and cucumber. We had a small, tiny market garden, and we sold some grass-fed beef. And, um, you know, when we left, the thought was to, and we were at first part of a big farm project here in Austria that was very ambitious. It was supposed to become a training hub, an educational hub uh, for Europe um, for that kind of farming. But unfortunately... Um, that didn't turn out, which was at that time a very, very difficult thing for us. Um, oh, hard sure. to handle was one of those curveballs that life throws at you. Right. Yeah. But, but I, I took the opportunity after that to just really deep dive into holistic management. And now, um, you know, we are really hoping for and planning for um, a, a farm in the U.S. once we arrive there, um, possibly combining it with a savory hub and. Um, really both growing food serving the community but also educating um other people in holistic management and regenerative agriculture there so we will be starting up a farm and i would do it very differently to how we did it <laughs> the first time yeah okay so give us a give us a rundown and i know i gave you a little bit of heads up on this but maybe not okay. enough like if you even want to break it down to like, you know, by the month, if you've thought about it that far, like when you get, mm. let's just say when you get to the U S you know, like what have you planned it out that much yet? Or I don't know. I don't know what kind of planner you are. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I used to suck completely at planning anything. I, I was just a very impulsive guy and, and used to just do things. And I, that way I've made a lot of mistakes and the <laughs> yeah. whole the whole holistic management has really um, led me closer to becoming a good and thorough planner. But part of that was also because the planning processes in holistic management are so straightforward. Yeah. They don't, they don't have all this mess that other planning procedures have. And so I really appreciated that. It was very practical. You could just, like Alan Savory calls it, just start riding the bicycle you know right yeah <laughs> not, not not talk about it and and so um the one challenge that we face currently is just there are so many unknowns you know yeah. um we have been in this waiting time and there's just no fixed date of uh, on when we are able to move and then also once we arrive um one hurdle is what um, i have to wait for my work permit um gotcha. we are not sure we are not sure when that will arrive once we come and then we really want to take our time to find the right piece of land and um you know in the right area we we have a, a clear vision of what we want the land to provide for us in terms of you know we we want some timber on there for energy um independence we want um some enough water on there or you know spring water to be able to tap into um be provided for that way and we want to have enough um, pasture land so that we can grow our own food and um you know usually it takes a while to be looking for that yeah um 
but it, it also depends on, you know, my, my business now that my wife and I are running the sound farmer, um, depends on how much they can provide for us. Um, you know, if, if it won't provide enough, I might have to take a farm manager job or something like that. Right. Uh, for, for a while. So, yeah. So looking at, um, looking at your kind of criteria for an ideal farm, I, mm-hmm. I feel like that's a great kind of like, that's even pre year one year, I guess you would say like, you know, like, yeah. Can you go into that a little bit more? Like as far as like timber on the land, like how much timber are you looking for a hardwood softwood or like, you know, um, kind of like breaking those down for us a little bit. Yeah. I mean, so the most important part is not even um, necessarily um, forest for, for, you know, um, lumber for construction stuff. I, I, I mean, I've, I've owned a sawmill, I've operated a sawmill and there's a lot of value in that, but I'm looking mainly, um, to, to trees as a source of, um, of fire, you know, heating. Yeah. And, but potentially even I've done a bunch of research on, on steam engine and generating electricity. If you oh, use cool. the heat, if you use the heat of it, um, it, it could be a viable option, but I, I just want to basically have a warm place for my family, you know, and, and, um, and also where, where we want to tap springs for, for drinking water. We typically want that to be in a forested area where the watershed is not being influenced by outside, um, sources and, and, and farming land. So it needs to be a big enough area that can provide a, you know, provide that for us. And so the area we are looking to move to is Northeast Tennessee. And okay. it's typical, typically hardwood, as you know, yeah. um, the, 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 you know, leaf trees there. I think there are some cedar trees that I'm not sure if they are native even, but I am sure I'm 99% sure that the forest that will be on whatever property is we'll get our hands on is not where we want it to be in forms of regenerative forestry. Right. So yeah. we, we will be managing it differently, but it's just important that, you know, we won't be able to add on and create more land or um, yeah. create springs out of nowhere. So Yeah. A lot of the Southeast, you know, we're not too far from that part of Tennessee. A lot of the Southeast has, kind of newer forest so it's yeah. you know it's not this old growth forest um and it's all just kind of i look at it like as uh like overcrowded improper um mm-hmm. pasture management in a way you know like it there there needs to be more diversity and more opening up the canopy and all of that kind of thing so yeah there's there, yeah Go ahead. And most of the time it's, it's, it's growth from a clear cut. So you have everything the same age, right? You know, right. So, yeah. so you want to bring age diversity in there as well. Yeah. That's interesting about the spring too. I hadn't really thought about finding a spring in the woods versus, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of people don't think like, you know, you want a spring, but like, if you can just find a spring on a property, that's good enough. But to kind of narrow it down to like, okay, not only do I want a spring, but I want it in the forest. Mm. Like that, that's next level <laughs> niching down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wouldn't care so much for livestock and it might 
very well be that with with good healthy management that the spring water on a pasture works just fine but um you also don't know and it might be hard to find out you know what have the previous owners done to the land? Have they sprayed any stuff that's still in the soil on the pasture? And I, I would say that forestry systems are generally less affected by um, that kind of management, poor management decision. Yeah. Um, as far as pasture, what are you thinking? Like how much do you want and what animals are you going to run on there? Yeah. So I have a lot of experience with, with poultry, but in recent years, uh, seeing the development, developing, you know, market, the, the skyrocketing prices and everything, I've just become very, very cautious about um, being so dependent upon external feed sources. Yeah. And one of my wife's and, and my um, goal is to, to really take advantage of the sun and the rain that's free, you know. Right. And yeah. so we want to have a grass, grass-based uh farm so to speak and and so you could have geese but i'm not sure how much of a market is there uh, that's something that would probably have to be established um you know and so we're thinking cattle and sheep if if it's if meat is the goal then we'll, we'll probably we have done gross profit um you know on on the enterprises and sheep it's definitely better than than um beef cattle but the the quickest return for us would be a small small dairy but we're not quite sure yet if that is in alignment with our holistic context um, in terms of how tight down will be but it, it'll depend on a little bit so so i'm not quite fixed on the size entirely but you know my heart burns for a little bit larger property yeah like what what i see most people they only want you know small homesteads uh, you know like i don't know five to 20 acres or something and what i found is that just for a tiny bit more money you can get three times as much land often and and to me the land is really where the value is i can right. uh, you know and if you manage it the right way you can really and you can make a, a holistic land plan and really work towards that and, and turn it into an oasis and you know I've looked at farms from anything, you know, 50 acres to uh, 200 acres. And it, it'll depend on a little bit, um, excuse me, what we can afford and what we can find. You know, if if the watershed and, and topography and everything fits better on a 50 acre farm, we might buy that instead of the 120 acre farm, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that that's interesting with the sheep versus cows. Uh, my mind keeps going to in North Carolina, raw milk is illegal to sell for human mm. consumption. And, um, which like uh, with a, a lot of where the world's going and stuff, people really want raw milk now more than ever. And, um, if you had it, yeah. a dairy cow, you could sell your milk. There's people in our area selling it for $20 a gallon, anywhere from oh. like 10 to $20 a gallon. You know I mean? It's, yeah, it's, but like you said, that really ties you down. So, you know, you have to think about, and I think, again, that's kind of when people are getting started, like, how does it match your holistic context? You know, like, do, like you said, you know, do you want to be tied down to being there every day to milk, you know, um, or are there other things? 
And I, I've also thought about, like you said, with the chicken, um, that is a challenging one. I don't know. Have you had any experience not importing feed for chicken or do you yeah. think it's like impossible to not import? No, it it is, it is possible, but it's, I would say most of the time it'll be a extensive system, not an intensive system. Okay. So, um, if we we rotate rotated our layers after our cattle in Sweden, and generally speaking, during the growing season when you have insects, we could feed one to two chickens for each cow. Okay, oh, so that th they could live off the insects and the flies, uh, fly maggots in the in the cow pies. Um, but then you still have the issue in the non-growing season, which in Sweden was like six months. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, so that is one thing, and. And, you know, there are great videos out there on YouTube just by feeding them with compost like Jeff Lawton, I think, yeah. um, has like a video on that. And I've tried something like that, but wasn't really, I didn't stick with it for too long. But I think, I really think it could work, but it's still, um, unless you have an operation like Carl Hammer, you know, it, you won't have very many chickens. The The other alternative that could be is if you find a way to really grow insects, but then that often is turns into like a major enterprise. I mean, you'll have to calculate right. your time and, and what is it you're feeding them and everything. And, and, and um, it, it might be worth looking into it. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll definitely have some chickens, but I've just had several friends now and several people here that have pretty much gone out of business with, with the feed prices now. And, yeah. you know, lately I've, I just like my chicken eggs more when they are not grain fed. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, what you, the, the other thing would be if you had enough land and, and I would do something like Gabe Brown and, and, you know, do cover cash cropping kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah. that, that would require probably five to 10 years of really learning it for on my side. Mm -hmm. So can you explain point. that a little bit more for people that don't know who Gabe Brown is or what he's doing? Yeah, so so most people understand you, how you can have like a permaculture in a pasture system, right? Uh, you don't till, you don't plow, and and the grass just remains there and grows every year. But what do you do when you want to grow corn or or soybeans or or you know wheat or whatever? And so there are several different approaches of no-till farming. Um, one, believe it or not, people actually they don't till, but then they just spray their fields with Roundup. Yeah, and to kill everything, and they they see themselves as the people who save the planet because they don't till. But um, you know, the the thing is, we still need the soil life, and we don't want to use the poison. So, um, Gabe Brown, I think, is one of the pioneering um, figures in regards to that. What he does is he um, he grows cash crops, but he seeds them into cover crops, and not. Um, one or two species of cover crops, but he he creates these seed mixtures of eight to twelve or eight to fifteen different plants and vegetables, and then he has a special drill that he you know he just flattens it out uh, as he drives and seeds directly into it, and he has just had a skyrocketing organic matter content in his soils. He has had um, above average yields um on his fields with no 
input basically i mean you know the seeds but he he doesn't have to buy fertilizer or anything and and so he has really been successful in that and and to me that would be the only real approach that i would want to try when it comes to um you know cash crop growing and and farming yeah i no i think it's a fascinating i i struggle with it a little bit just because i I don't enjoy the like riding the tractor and seeding yeah. and all of that. Like that's not, yeah. that's not my passion, but it's, what, it's, yeah. Same with me. Exact same with me. I, I hate machines. I get a stiff neck. It's loud. It stings. I, I yeah. Yeah. it's the worst thing. I, I'd rather clean out a stable of cow manure, you know, <laughs> Right. but, <laughs> yeah. but it's, yeah. you know, if, if you have to do it, you know, I mean, it's easy to find somebody who drives the machine for you too. That's true. Yeah. Just having someone come in and do it real quick for you and leave would be, uh, in, that would be interesting on a homestead level too. I mean, if you could find someone that could just do like a 10 acre pasture for you, um, yeah, or, or even less, even less, like that's what we learned here. You know, we lived and worked at the Holzer Kramatohof, um, here in Austria. And, and I went through the permaculture training work with him. And so what he does, he has a bigger farm. Um, it's like 40 something hectare. Um, what is that? It would be like some 100 acres, 100 plus acres, but it's on a very steep mountainside and he doesn't have very many places he can grow. So what he does is he has terraced the mountainside or parts of it. Oh, cool. And he has only, you know, he has these nine feet or 10 feet wide terraces and he actually grows um, grain um, on those. He, he grows old wow. rye old rye varieties they they become like six feet tall i actually brought him a super old rye variety from sweden um when when we moved down here and he grew it the year after but it's really cool because he has incorporated it on a homesteading level so he just grows it to have grain for his own bread and you know he he seeds it in august um, no, excuse me, he harvests this in August and then he receipts it like a month after and it has some growth before the winter comes. And then he grazes it off either with his cattle or his sheep and, and um, encourages the stocking, you know, um, and and then then he it grows the next season and he harvests it in August again. So oh, that's um, it really works cool. great for him. Yeah. yeah. And, and he, the last thing, he did now he bought one of these tiny tiny harvesters that they use for rice in in asia yeah uh, he bought that and he it's like i don't know two feet maybe that it harvests you know oh, <laughs> he wow. drives drives on his mountainside and harvests his grain it's quite oh cool. man that is so cool yeah um i i grew i've grown rice a few times we have a hill side and um lacy always makes fun of me though because i i grew the rice but it turns out to like uh process rice, you literally have to have a rice dehauler. Like I've tried okay. all of these things to dehaul it and nothing works. So I have like jars, jars and jars of hauled rice that someday I'll uh, put through a dehauler. But yeah, yeah. it's a, it's amazing um, what you can do on just a little, little bit of land. Um, yeah. So what else? If you, if you're talking with, uh, let's say one of your clients, year one, um they've found the property what what advice would you give them starting out in year one um and it doesn't have yeah. to be like a long you know just kind of a 
you're getting started. Here's what I suggest you do for maybe the first three months. Yeah, I, I don't even know that, that I would would have something specifically for the first three months. I guess the main thing, which was one of the biggest things for me when I went through the holistic management courses was um, don't think that whatever you imagine your farm being, basically, basically your land plan, don't think that that needs to be your starting point. That mm-hmm. is your goal. That's where you want to end up. On a practical level, there's no way around you having to start with whatever it is you have there, whether you have some old fence or no fence, whatever it is you have there. Um, and and that's what you have to plan with and start with. If you think you, you need to have the timeless fence installed perfectly and all the water points and everything, then you will go broke and be frustrated and work yourself to death within weeks. And, you know, so do your planning, create clarity that you know where you're heading financially and environmentally and health wise yourself. Right. And, and, and then work with what you have and you can start farming and homesteading regeneratively um, with what you have. You have to. So that would be my encouragement. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate that. That is so good. Uh, I really like that of the planning, the financial and the personal health like i think some people know they're supposed to plan their homestead some but the um really getting out there and figuring out financially how's it going to work it's funny because i'm sitting here looking out at our fence that we um had installed during covid and it's like a fifteen thousand dollar fence and um if we would have put it up when we first moved in it would be completely different than it is now but you know we waited probably five years before we had that installed so it, it makes a huge difference knowing what you're going to do there also yeah and you know you can create your um layout of your optimal farm and but then you can account for the each annual budget how much you can set aside and work towards that to reach that you know and, and and i guess that's very important i've seen people you know they go broke or they burn out over the stuff that they're supposed to love and enjoy and um that's that's a huge danger i see so many people being way overwhelmed they don't know where to continue or where to start and um struggling on all the ends and those are typically the people that come to or look for what options are there? You know, it's hard to actually tell people who are extremely enthusiastic and especially people who have a lot of financial resources. I found it to be quite challenging to, to break through to them because, um, you know, the money can keep them from becoming excellent in management and planning. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that is all great advice, man. I really appreciate you taking the time and the effort. Um, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to connect? Yeah, so um, check out our webpage, thesoundfarmer.net, and you can contact us there. You'll find us on YouTube under Simeon and Alex, um, formerly Swedish Homestead. It's still our name there. <laughs> yeah, so but, but Yeah, but our work, Everything we do is through the Sound Farmer, and we do a weekly podcast live stream on our YouTube channel every yeah. Saturday, so people can check that out as well. Awesome. 
Well, thank you for your time. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah.